Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sean the Baptist Live for this Wednesday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May. It is also Wednesday in the fifth week of Easter. So Cinco de Mayo, um, one of those great uh, days that no one really knows exactly what it is. Some people think it's it's like Mexican Independence Day, um, actually celebrates a, a victory of a, well, a, a decent-sized battle, but in the grand scheme of things, a a small battle, I, I, I suppose. It is definitely not uh, Mexican Independence Day. Uh, it is, however, much like Mardi Gras, uh, an excuse for partying and drinking and probably having too much tequila and too many burritos and a lot of nachos. Uh, I, I'm not doing any of that, uh, actually, today uh, because I'm, I'm watching my weight. You know, I just had that uh, surgery thing and I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to be respectable. Of, of my body. So we will not overdo it today, even on the incredible celebration of Cinco de Mayo. Uh, we are going to talk about, however, some some other feasts of this week that are more religious in, in motivation and, and origin. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to put a comment in the uh, the comment box because I think if I do this, you should get a little a little link, uh, perhaps, next to uh, the the comment. Please follow me. If you haven't followed me, uh, theoretically, I guess there should be a link where you can just click follow. Uh, so you should be able to do that on uh, Sean the Baptist Live right now. Click the little link and follow me. That way, when I do go live, uh, you will get a message. Because notice, sometimes I, sometimes during the day, I create a little uh, event, and I, I put it out, hey, we're going to be you know, going live at 6.30 or whatever. Most people know 6.30 Wednesdays is the time for Sean the Baptist Live. But I, I don't always create like the event thing ahead of time. So uh, especially if you if you want to get notified when I go live and ahead of time, things like that, definitely click the little follow button, please. Because I, I note that a lot of people actually comment and watch the show and um, don't actually follow. So if you follow me, that gets a, a little help uh, for me, um, trying something different tonight. I'm I'm only live on the the Sean the Baptist page and not the St. Patrick page, so I'm gonna post it over to St. Patrick when I'm done. I'm trying to see if I if I only go on the Sean the Baptist page if uh, people will find me here if I need to continue to do it both places. So uh, it does look like uh, the startup numbers are down a little bit. So I I have a feeling some people have uh, have not founded at the, just the Sean the Baptist page place. So uh, for those of you that have, wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, so please follow, and then, then you'll always know. So uh, things that have happened this week. So this this last Sunday was the fifth week uh, of Easter, which means uh, we've got three weeks left of Easter. Uh, this, this weekend uh, is the final before the Ascension. Now, normally Ascension would be Ascension Thursday, 40 days after Easter, but depending on where you're at, at least here in uh, Kansas, we we transfer that to the following Sunday, to the seventh Sunday of Easter. And then, of course, the eighth Sunday uh, of Easter, the seventh after Easter, is the uh, Solemnity of Pentecost, which will officially end the Easter season in the the new version of the rite without the octave of, of Pentecost. So we're, uh, we're well into Easter, but it is still Easter. So keep that in mind as we, we keep going. Uh, we do continue to celebrate, and at least for me, sometimes it gets uh, 
you know, you almost kind of get used to being in the season of Easter a little bit, that it starts to feel ordinary in itself. Uh, notice that at Mass, we continue to read from the, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, which is the, the story of the early church, how the, the apostles and the, the first disciples went out and preached the gospel. And uh, if you haven't ever read through the entire book of the Acts of the Apostles, you know, I invite you to do that. Uh, it is one of those books that is filled with good stories. Like a lot of people are doing, you know, the, the through the Bible in a year thing. Some people are following Father Mike Schmitz in his Bible in a year podcast, and that that's great. But as as happens in that uh, endeavor to read the Bible in a year, most of the time you get you get stuck about February, March, because you're well, you're reading Leviticus, and it's like 500 ways how to kill a cow, and and who really wants to devote their daily you know commitment to to reading about that. The Acts of the Apostles book is actually kind of exciting. There's there's all kinds of things that go on in that uh, the book, and uh, it's a good narrative. Uh, things like you know Peter, uh, you know healing people just by his shadow passing over them, or one of the readings that we we had uh, recently that that people don't realize is in the Acts of the Apostles. So the the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. These are two of the the followers that were. You know, seeing what the the other disciples were doing, how they were selling all of their goods and putting the proceeds in the care of the church through the apostles. Well, uh, Ananias and Sapphira were rich; uh, they had a lot of property, and they wanted to they wanted to follow Jesus. And so they they sold their property, just like everybody else was doing. But when they went to put the money at the feet of the apostles, well, they kept a little bit back just in case, you know, save a little for a rainy day. Well, unfortunately, they then lied about it because Peter had some premonition, like, wait, is this, is this really all of it? So Holy Spirit inspiring him. And, you know, Ananias is like, oh yeah, that's it. And he was struck dead on the spot. Like, holy cow. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, sold maybe 99% of his property and gave it to the apostles and kept a little back. Man, God doesn't want like half ventures. But then his like his wife comes in and you know, not realizing that her husband just died on the same spot. Peter's like, Did you, did you give all the money you sold? Oh yeah. Boom, she's dead too. Wow. Uh so keep that in mind if you're trying to hedge your bets uh with God. And uh it's you know, I've given a homily before about being all in, and it's uh, it's hard to be all in. You know, God God wants what does He want? Well, He He wants you, and there's there's no way to give just part of of you. So keep that in mind if you think you're gonna hedge your bets with with God. Not so easy to do. Uh, so yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. There's a, a great little. Uh, Great little story for you to to check out. Um, dead on the spot. Other great stories in the Acts of the Apostles, which uh, we read during Easter uh, to kind of celebrate the beginning of the church, but it's, it's filled with some things you might not think of. Okay, also then, this week, uh, two feasts that kind of fit into what I wanted to talk about tonight, and that is on May 1st, had the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. Now, this is a very much later feast that was put into the calendar because uh, it used to be the feast of St. Philip and James on May 1st. Uh, but then in the, the 
modern times, Philip and James got supplanted by this uh, kind of invented feast of Joseph the worker, and Philip and James then got moved to May 3rd. So I want to talk about those two feasts. Uh, because obviously this is the year of St. Joseph, so the, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker is a, is a big one in this year of St. Joseph. So we're going to kind of talk about that, the, the foster father of Jesus, the patron of the Universal Church, but also the Feast of St. Philip and James, which got moved for this Feast of Joseph the Worker. Uh, St. Philip, Philip the Apostle, he is the, the saint who put the P in Father Sean P. Tunic. And uh, if you caught the morning message... From Monday on the feast day, I talked a little bit about uh, my own devotion to, to Saint Philip, and so we'll we'll hit that again a little bit tonight. Again, I'm I'm happy to take your questions, so uh, please send those in. I have to admit that tonight, as I was I was getting ready for things, um, a little me is like I, I don't know what to talk about tonight. What should I talk about tonight? Uh, we've gone over a lot of things. I don't know what's on people's minds. You know, when we were in the the midst of of COVID and we couldn't get to church. Uh, there were a, a lot of people who would jump on when I was doing every night uh, a live show because, well, that's that's the only way we're connecting uh, with people. Um, now, I guess, as people are able to get back to church, things like that, uh, th there's maybe less need to join in around the old internet screen as a community. But at uh, the same time, I I do like to hear your questions and uh, to know what it is that, that, that you want to talk about. But um, realized uh, tonight I didn't do a whole lot of advertising, so some of you will get this on the replay and on the podcast. So uh, thanks for those that, that are joining uh, live online tonight. So uh, Joseph, Philip, and Fathers, I, I called this. So the, the tie-in with Joseph is probably pretty easy. Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, and as I said, we have the, the feast of St. Joseph, uh, the worker, on, on May 1st, so we'll talk about that. But I'd, I'd like to start um, kind of a recap of Philip. You might wonder, well, what, is, what does Philip have to do with fatherhood? As far as we know, Philip wasn't married. Uh, he was from Bethsaida and probably was, was crucified, preaching maybe to Samaria, maybe went to Turkey. Um, so as far as we know, the apostle Philip was not a biological father. So what's the deal? Well, here's the deal. Um, the famous, I mean, encounter between Jesus and Philip in the Gospel of John uh, is when Philip famously says to Jesus, after seeing Jesus pray and talk about the Father, Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father, and, and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father. Now, this is an important enough um, moment for me that I actually took it as my own personal motto. If you look at the coat of arms of me as a priest, uh, down at the bottom is my my motto, and it is Ostende Nobis Patrim, show us the Father. So this is a, Philip figures a lot into the Gospel of John. We don't, we don't see Philip as, as much in the other, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, Philip has, well, quite a few uh, lines and uh, things that he does. Um, but the most important of which in, in my book is this moment where, if you think about it, 
um, we we often focus on the fact that after after Philip asks Jesus, you know, show us the Father, uh, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus has to kind of chide Philip a little bit and say, you know, Philip, have I been with you all this time, and and still still you don't know me? If you have seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. Uh, so there's a little correction in there for, for Philip by Jesus. But notice that I, I think it's important enough that I chose it as my motto, because essentially here, uh, Philip gets a chance to, to ask Jesus what he really wants, what's on his heart. You know, probably all of us have lots of desires, things that, that we would want. You know, if there's always the question, if the genie shows up and gives you three wishes. Well, let's say you don't even get three wishes. Let's say God shows up, like Jesus did for Philip. Let's say God shows up and says, you know, ask for whatever you want. What do you want? What do you most want? Now, if, if we're honest, the rather short-sighted answer, we'd probably come up with, you know, things like, well, I want to be happy. Or maybe we're sophisticated enough to say, well, I don't need happiness. I want joy or I want peace. You know, probably there's some selfish things on there. Too. Well, I, I want to be free from worry. I want, I want healing. You know, how many people right now are, are suffering with ill health? Like, I just, I, I want to be healthy or, you know, I want more money. I, I want love. I want pleasure. I want security. And we can think of probably all kinds of things we, we would want from higher to lesser things. What if we could ask for one thing and we're just really honest about what's on our heart? What do we really want? Well, Philip gets that chance. And so when meeting Jesus, Philip famously basically tells Jesus, I want to see God. I want to see God. That's what I most want. And I think that's an honest answer from Philip. I mean, that's what's amazing. He, I mean, the other apostles like James and John and Peter, they're all fighting it out. Like, who's the greatest? Who's the best apostle? Jesus, can we sit at your right and your left when you're in, in heaven? We want to be the famous super apostles. Well, Philip doesn't ask for anything like that. He's not worried about being the best or his place. What does Philip most want? Wants to see God. That's it. Show us the Father. Um, so he's, he's not the, the perfect theologian at the point. It's like, well, of course, I've seen the Father because in the unity of the Trinity, of course, Jesus being the second person of the most holy Trinity is fully God, and therefore to see Jesus is the human incarnation of the otherwise invisible, purely spiritual Father with has no material principle. I mean, we can spout all that off right now. And by the way, that was all theologically correct, what I said. You don't have to understand a bit of it. That's why I went to school. But, you know, Philip does not know the theology, and, and you don't have to either. What he does know is that he wants to see God. That's a pretty darn good thing to ask for. Uh, because really, in the end, that is what we are all made for. Behind everything that we want, everything that we could ask for, even if you're like, you know what, I want a piece of cherry pie. From the, the most meaningless pleasure to the most sophisticated, I want world peace or just peace in my heart or, you know, no matter how sophisticated to how banal, you want God because the soul is attracted what is good, true, and beautiful. 
And the only being person that has all that to its max is God. Perfectly good, true, and beautiful. The highest of it, that's God. So if you want something good, true, beautiful, you want God. Even if you want something that is, you know, not the perfect good, like it's illicit, maybe, you know, you want something that you can't have. Maybe you choose to sin and go after something, you know, that we would say, well, that's sinful. Well, here's the deal. There is nothing that is purely bad. Because you and I are created good, we can't choose things that are purely bad. We can only choose good. And so if we go after sinful things, it's only because we we see a, a potential good in it. Literally, the word sin in the Greek, hamartia, literally means just to miss the mark. Okay, It's impossible for us to aim 180 degrees the wrong way. We are aiming at the target. We are aiming for good, even if we, we miss the mark and, and sin. So if you want anything, that desire was put there by God. Now, it may be warped because of our fallenness, uh, really, that's all the devil can do. All the devil can do is take what is good, true, and beautiful and, and twist it. The devil can't create anything. He's not God. God created everything. All Satan can do is get in there and kind of mess with it and take what God did and, and twist it around a little bit. You know, we see that especially like in human relations where really what we want is communion. I mean, see my homily from this last weekend about connection, remaining connected, like branches on the vine. We want connection. We want to remain together. What does Satan do? He twists that around so that we end up using each other and are selfish and try to use people as a mere means to an end. And all that's bad. But it's not pure bad. It's a it's a desire for connection and community with other people. And it's just that we're so afraid and broken and fallen that we we mess it all up. So if you want anything. There's a good, true, beautiful thing behind it that you want. And so Philip, he, he wants the right thing. He's like, I want to see God. Now he thinks that, you know, the father is, is somebody else. Um, he doesn't understand that, again, Jesus is the father incarnate. One time I was, I was visiting uh, one of the Eastern uh, Catholic churches in Chicago. I was at the uh, Ukrainian cathedral, I think. And um, the, the priest there was pointing out you know, we don't have any images of God the Father on the wall. They have all these icons. If you've ever been to uh, an Eastern uh, church, they're just, you know, icons everywhere. These, these uh, what would look like painting, they're not, they're not, we don't use the term paint, we use the term write. They, they wrote the, the icon, um, but applying paint and other things to uh, a piece of wood often. But in a, an icon is meant to show a, a supernaturalized kind of image of, say, a, a saint or something. Well, the, the priest was pointing out, there is no image of God the Father. You, you know, we, when we, we think of, you know, maybe an image of God the Father, I don't know, what do you think of? Well, oftentimes we, we think like of a, like an old man with a beard. You know, you think of the, uh, the, the beautiful scene of creation at the uh, Sistine Chapel. What do you've got? You've got an old man with a beard reaching out his finger to, to touch Adam's finger. And so God the Father in Western art is often depicted as an old man, like with a beard, because he's just, you know, been around since the beginning of time kind of thing. We won't get into the theology there. But in Eastern Christianity, 
the priest was telling me, we don't, there, there is no image of God the Father. Like, what does God the Father look like? Well, he's pure spirit. Okay, so he has no physical, tangible principle. The Father and the Holy Spirit are not physical beings. There is no material principle by which you could see, touch, anything, the Father and the Holy Spirit. So you want to know what God the Father looks like? What does God look like? Well, immediately when you start talking about look like, you you mean material, because we are material. Our eyes are material. They see material things. So you want to know what God looks like? The priest pointed to the, the icon of Jesus and said, that's what God the Father looks like. Now, no, Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is distinct from God the Father, the first person in the Holy Trinity, only in the matter of relationship. The Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son, but they are of the same substance. They are one God in different three persons. The only one that has a material principle and looks like anything is Jesus. God the Father did not take on flesh. The Holy Spirit did not take on flesh. Only the second person in the Trinity did. But because there's only one God, you want to know what God looks like? It looks like Jesus. You want to know what the Father looks like? Jesus. And that's really what, what Jesus was getting at when he had to chide Philip a little bit. Like, you want to see the Father? Look at me. This is what he looks like. Because otherwise, there is nothing that he looks like. There is no other principle. So I realize that's a, that's a bit of theology there. But, uh, you know, you're Sean the Baptist followers. You want a little bit of theology, so there you go. Um, now, tie that in uh, with another scriptural passage in which um, Jesus is speaking rather hyperbolically, or he's exaggerating to make a point, and he says, call no one on earth your father. You have one father who is in heaven. Now, sometimes, uh, especially amongst non-Catholics, they will look at that and say, well, see, you priest then, what the heck are you doing being called father? That's not good. It's right in the scripture right there. Don't be called father. Call no one father. You only have one father in heaven. All right, let's let's just clear that up right away to say, obviously, lots of people on earth call people their father and with, with no sin or any trouble like that because we really do have earthly fathers, okay? And, and priests really are fathers, not in the biological sense, but in the, the sense of bringing to adulthood their, their children and guiding them and caring about them. I hope I do that. I, I try to do that. Um, so why this, you know, call no one your father thing? Well, because you want to know what real fatherhood looks like. You want to know what it is to be the perfect father. Well, there's only one, and that's our father in heaven. And Jesus is basically saying the difference between the fatherhood of God, the perfect father, and an earthly fathers, there is such a dichotomy there. There's a gap that is just so far apart, that in comparison to the way that God is perfectly father, earthly fathers don't even deserve to be called by the title. It's just so humanly imperfect the way we do fatherhood on earth that, you know what, just don't call anyone your father because there's really only one that deserves the title. All right, 
that's an exaggeration, but it's good for us to keep in mind that um, in the the positive sense, uh, yeah, compared to God, earthly fathers mess it up. How many times I've come across today, I mean, I, I was raised in a good family. My father was there. I mean, just showing up and just staying married these days, that's that's almost like heroic fatherhood. Don't divorce your wife. Don't leave your family for some other woman. Chase after some other thing. You know, that's 50% of the people don't have that today. So I, I was at least blessed that, you know, my father continues to stick around. Married to my, my mom for, you know, going on 46 years. That's, that's good. But human fathers fail all the time. Even the good ones, the best ones fail all the time. And I think today, part of why I chose that, that motto as well, show us the father, is, is not just that, uh, you know, it's, it's about Philip and wanting to see God. It's, it's also, I, I think, a cry from my heart, a critique a critique of, of all of society right now. Show us the father. Where are the fathers? You know, we think especially of, of some of our, our populations that are most plagued by lack of fatherhood, where there's, where there's most trouble with children. Look around and you find there aren't fathers. Show us the father is not just a cry to see God. It's, it's, a, it's a cry to see God imaged in earthly fatherhood. Messed up and broken as it is, we want to see the father. And without Jesus walking around physically present on earth, What's the next best thing that we can visibly, tangibly, in this life, as physical beings, have physical contact with God the Father? It's earthly fathers. You know, yeah, there's a gap. So, so big, you shouldn't even call anyone with your father. Fine, that's a big gap. But it's the best we've got. How am I supposed to know the love of the Father in heaven who just delights and dotes on me? How am I supposed to know that in this life? Well, ideally, you've got an earthly father. That from the time you're a little boy, your, your father lets you know that you are loved. You don't have to do anything to earn love. If you mess up, all right, I might have to discipline you. I might have to correct you, but I still let you know that I love you. You know, you don't have to earn love. These are the things that, you know, parents and moms and dads are supposed to do. Uh, but I'm focusing tonight specifically on fathers. Fathers are supposed to do this. You're supposed to learn the love of God by being loved by your earthly parents. And we had a speaker once um, come to our priest. We were uh, having our big uh, priest convocation thing. Speaker came and he said, you know, one of the most important things that a dad does for his son, especially, but daughters too, they have to image and let their children know that they are beloved. Okay, so many times, especially for men as fathers, it's, it's hard to say the words, I love you. Oh, this is like all emotional and sappy. And, you know, I, my, my family's a bit on the, the German kind of side, so we just don't say I, I love you sort of thing. I don't know, I was in seminary, I think, and I just, I thought that was dumb, and I decided I would change it. So I'm just like, I'm... You know, I, I never know when the last time I'll see, like, my family members will be. I might, I might leave and go and get, you know, killed in a car crash or something. 
I just decided one day, well, I, I want to make sure the last words I ever speak to any of my family members when we're hanging up the phone or saying, I, I want to say, I love you. Okay, fathers are supposed to not just say that, but mean it, that uh, so much of the hurt in society right now is, is lack of fathers, and particularly lack of people knowing that they are beloved by God because they're not beloved by their fathers. Their fathers are selfish. They don't care about their kids. They don't care about their wife. Okay, this is human. Okay, Every, everybody to some extent has this problem, but it's, it's a plague in society right now, the lack of, lack of fatherhood. And so when Philip says, you know, show us the father, I also kind of see that as a little bit what I'm called to do as a priest, because yeah, part of the imaging of the love of God as father, uh, priests are on for that. I mean, yeah, we get called father for good reason. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I've just been talking about how earthly fathers mess it up with their families. Well, I mean, we only have to, you know, look at the past 20 years, um, at least as far as Revelation public goes, but, you know, the, the past 50 years, uh, really, to see how much priestly fatherhood has been messed up. I mean, look at that. I mean, fathers are supposed to be the ones who care for their children, and we know they were abusing their children. You know, thankfully, that doesn't happen as, as much today as it did in a certain period of, of time, and we put lots of, you know, protective measures in place to, to kind of catch the, the, the fathers who are mentally ill and preying upon children. We've taken care of that, but um, yeah, priestly fatherhood is, is a great lack right now. Just lack of fatherhood all over. Um, and it scares me because I, I don't know how this gets better. Uh, there are little pockets of it. You know, I, I see some of my, my friends who are good dads and raising their family. And I, I see young priests who, who really want to um, <clears throat> not just be everybody's friend as a priest. Sometimes, you know, priests think they got to get up there and, well, I want people to like me and I, I don't want to say something too hard. I want to kind of keep everybody comfortable. Just be a father, fathers. Um, a good father does not always tell his kids exactly what they want to hear. In, in fact, one of the ways that fathers show their kids that they are worthwhile, that they are cared for, is they, they do discipline. They do create rules. You know, one of the ways that God the Father shows that he cares about us messed up little kids down here is he, he reveals to us, these are the rules. You know, I, Monsignor Krishi, the campus center director at the University of Kansas when I was there, always referred to God's rules as fatherly instructions for happiness. Okay, I don't know what you think of when you think of, of rules, um, but I, I once knew a kid that, uh, you know, I had, I had rules growing up and uh, it was described that, um, you know, a kid was complaining like, ah, my parents, I got all these rules. I got to be home by such and such time. This was back when you could actually go out as a kid on your own. You know, I got to be home at this time and I can't miss dinner or whatever. And he was complaining to his friend about uh, all the rules his parents have. And a uh, friend said, yeah, I, I don't have any rules. I, I don't have to be home at any time. My parents don't care. I wish I had your parents. I wish my parents cared enough to make rules about when I should be home or when I shouldn't. 
they don't care. They don't care about me. They probably wouldn't care if I didn't come home. I wish I had your parents who made rules for you because that means they care about you. Well, our, our Father in Heaven is kind of like that too. He, he makes rules because he, he cares about us. After all, he made the whole world. He knows how it works. Why is the world so messed up right now? Because we're, we're just trying to do it our way. I did it my way. And it sucks. Okay? Terrible. Do it your way. And, you know, maybe maybe a squirrel finds a nut every now and then. But basically, if you're going to ignore God and just do it your way, if you're right, sometimes it's only by chance almost. God's telling you, look, I made you. I made everything. I know it's going to make you happy. Trust me. And, and when it comes to our Heavenly Father, he's perfect. So he's got it right. I mean, our earthly fathers mess it up. They don't always give us the best advice. Dad is not always right. Sometimes dad is flat wrong because he's a human being who fails. Sometimes he says the wrong thing, does the wrong thing, treats people the wrong way, even terribly sinful, wrecks the whole family. I mean, I, I deal with that so much right now and the pain when dad walks out, wrecks the family, does not treat his wife, the mother of his children, the way he should. One of the best things a father can do for his kids is love their mother. Those kids are going to learn, especially the boys, boys are going to learn from their dads, this is how you treat a woman, because they're going to look at how dad treats mom. If dad loves mom, cares for her, clearly that he'll sacrifice for her. That's being a good father, because your kids are going to see that. The boys are going to see that's how you treat a woman. The girls are going to learn from their father, this is how I deserve to be treated. Notice we're all messed up today about the way women should be treated, the way men ought to act. Why are we falling on our face all over the place? It's because we don't have good fathers that image this at home. You know, dads, your, your call is incredible. I know it's a lot of pressure. You know, good, feel, feel some of that pressure and then realize God does not expect perfection. He knows you're human and weak and, and broken. And that's why, you know, one of the things I see is how resilient the human race is, okay? With all the messed up fatherhood we've got, I mean, families that are just plagued with trauma, they still make it somehow. I mean, God is, my goodness, he's made us incredibly resilient. We can bounce back from a lot of stuff. Even incredible trauma like being abused as a child, having a father that was absent or when he was absent, maybe was an alcoholic that yelled and sweared and, and beat people. I mean, it's horrendous. And, and we can make it. We can survive. But, wow, how much difference it makes when you've got a, a father who is willing to be the example for his children. Um, in a way that is uplifting the way he treats their mother. So Mother Teresa says, you want to change the world, go home and love your family. I think if, if we want to change our families, fathers, love your wives. Be committed to them. Be willing to sacrifice for them. Show your children that your wife is beautiful, worthy, dignified, worthy to be doted on. Don't 
you know, I said, like, my family doesn't say I love you because we're German or whatever. Well, we're half Irish, so some of us are huggers. I've gotten in touch with my Irish side more, I think, lately and become a hugger. You know, I, I even, I hug my dad now. I, I hug my grandpa. And I don't know when, I, you know, one of those times is going to be the last time you get to do that. So what, you're going to not say I love you or hug people? And like, well, we just don't do that stuff. Too bad for you. I mean, God made us for that kind of connection. So husbands, hug your wife, kiss your wife, let your children see that you are in love with your wife. And if you don't feel in love with your wife, fake it till you make it. Act like you love your wife. And you know what? It'll end up working out. Sacrifice. Your children will see this. I think this is why we we don't have as many vocations maybe to the priesthood, religious life, because, you know, we, we tend not to be confronted a lot with like sacrifice and perseverance. So many times we can get what we want these days. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, most of us don't learn to do without or to sacrifice. I shouldn't sacrifice for anything. What should I sacrifice for? Well, if, if kids can see that mom and dad are willing to sacrifice for each other to, to do as St. Paul says, if, if in a family, everyone can see dad is willing to lay down his life to protect the good of his wife and his children that he would rather die, that he would rather suffer himself than to see anything happen to his wife and his children, that he would never hurt them. Man, even if you you die trying, that's the way to do it. So I guess that's just uh, a call from my heart as a spiritual father uh, who, who wants to try to love his spiritual children this way. Uh, you know, earthly fathers, biological fathers, love your wives. Lay down your life for them as Christ loved the church, and you will be a good father. Okay, raising kids is tough. Figuring out how to do it. I was over at a couple's house uh, the other day, and their four boys are just going crazy. And uh, a, a little bit of me likes it because I'm like, I was a little bit of a rambunctious sort of boy. My mom says if they had like medication for ADD back in the day, they probably would have had me in all kinds of stuff. Uh, I didn't actually probably have ADD. I was just, I was just a rambunctious boy. Now everyone's on you know, lots of medication and things for that, trying to take the boy out of the boy a little bit. These boys were, I mean, they were awesome. They're boys. They wanted to show me all their stuff. They wanted to show me their Harry Potter swords, they went, you know, magic wands and their capes and it is great. And I I couldn't help but thinking that, yeah, this this mom and dad, they're they're stretched, but they're they're doing it. They're they're sacrificing for their kids. And their kids are gonna grow up knowing that. Mom and dad might not be perfect, but their dad loves their mom. And it's a mutual love that is received and given. That's, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you got. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live. It doesn't matter if you play all the sports or have all the fancy stuff. If kids know that they are beloved by their father, especially, and that their father loves their mom, you can live dirt poor. You got that. I my, Best friend from college has got eight kids and works for the church. I mean, and mom's a stay-at-home mom. So they're living on one salary, working for the church with eight kids. It's a it's a disaster sometimes. I know. I, it's hard for me to get a, a word in sometimes with my friend. Because, like, you know, if I try to call and talk, it's probably bath time or, you know, somebody just puked all over him or something like that. I, I know, like, we're friends, but we don't get to talk a whole lot or, or get together a whole lot because— He's being a dad. 
he's got to sacrifice for his family. Uh, and he's, he's trying to do it. It's a sacrifice. Um, show that to your kids. Uh, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little preachy, uh, tonight because I just, when I became a priest, I think I wanted to change the world. I, I thought that I, I kind of could, uh, <laughs> I'm beginning to, to doubt that, uh, sometimes now. And I, it's kind of one of those, I think it's cause I'm 44. I'm a bit in that midlife kind of crisis time where I'm like, um, all right. Um, you're shifting from, I could change the world. I'll make the world better to, oh man, maybe I can't, <laughs> maybe the world's just going to suck and I can't fix it. Um, so maybe I'm a little bit of that midlife kind of transition phase right now. What's it all about? What's it all mean? Uh, I still want to kind of change the world. And I just see that the best way to, to do that is partly rooted in fatherhood. And I'm, I'm not meaning to marginalize the motherhood side of this, but, but tonight I, in honor of Philip's show us the father line, and as we're going to move to now St. Joseph, uh, I, I did want to kind of talk about fatherhood a lot, um, because there is a way in which, especially in the spiritual side of things, stats show us fathers make a bigger difference than mothers. And, and here's one specific example of what I mean, and it, it doesn't diminish motherhood at all, but uh, the studies show that, uh, like, just the stats of going to church. Will adult children continue to go to church after they're out of the home? If mom and dad both go to church and bring the family together, there is, like, a 75% chance that the, the adult children will go to church. If just dad goes to church, brings the kids. It's it's like 50% chance. But if just mom, it, it's like 10%. If mom is the only one trying to instill spirituality in her family, it will almost surely fail as far as long-lastingness. Because let's, let's face it, anyone who's been around the church long enough knows women are just more naturally spiritual. I th and I think kids pick up on this. Oh, like, of course, of course, mom loves church and loves God and does all the praying and all the religious stuff. Um, it, it can kind of be throwaway almost like, well, yeah, that's, you know, she's mom. That's what moms do. But when dad, you know, masculine, dominating, secure, manly dad gets down on his knees and says, we need God, we're going to pray. I'm going to stop my day to take my family to Mass on Sunday morning. Even if that's all you do, there is a 75% chance that your kids pick that up and continue it because you're dad and you're showing that to be manly and powerful means you got to admit you're weak and you need God. If, you know, John Paul II famously said that the lasting image of his father growing up, the one that made the most impression upon him was seeing his dad kneeling at his bed each night before bed praying. And, and we know that the John Paul II's dad, his, his mom, his, John Paul II's his dad, wife died. So he didn't have a mom for quite a while. She died when he was young. But dad kept the faith going and, and look what happened. I mean, he became Pope. So is there more pressure? 
I guess, on, on dads when it comes to religion? Yeah. Yeah, there is. You have to be the one to image the love of the father. Women do this too as, as a mother, but it's, it's, it's different. Much as our society wants to say, oh, like men and women, they're interchangeable, doesn't matter, it's all the same. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's a lie from Satan who wants to diminish the, the beautiful role of true femininity and masculinity. Show us the father. Ostende nobis patrum. What a, what a beautiful call from Philip. Now, when it comes to early fathers, let's move to St. Joseph here for the last 15 minutes, uh, because I said it was the Feast of Joseph the Worker on uh, May 1st, May Day. Um, it's interesting how this kind of feast came about, but if you want to see, okay, well, where is an image of an earthly father who did it right? The go-to is kind of, well, St. Joseph. And, and this is true. And we'll maybe point out some of the ways that he is a good image of fatherhood. Here's my problem with St. Joseph, though. Um, and problem with St. Joseph, like, oh my goodness, I'm like going to call down fire on, from heaven on myself or something. Here's the problem with St. Joseph, uh, you know, the, the greatest father that ever lived. Uh, and I'm starting like, here's the problem. All right, so uh, St. Joseph, we don't know a whole lot about him is the problem. You know, we can, we can speculate. We can imagine what it would have been like, but we, like the story I just told about John Paul II and his father, like that actually happened. It's concrete. John Paul says, I saw my father kneeling at his bed and it inspired me with the love of God. Well, I can imagine St. Joseph probably helped Jesus learn his prayers and pray, but we don't have any firsthand account. Joseph speaks not a single word in scripture, <laughs> not a single, single quote. Um, not a single quote. And so it's harder, I think, for people to connect with, with Joseph. Um, okay, so he, he's married, but he, he doesn't have relations with his wife. So, you know, men can kind of sometimes relate uh, to that. So many men are like, I'm married, but I'm living celibate. Okay, it's hard in, in marriage, even to have intimacy between husband and wife. Uh, but Mary and Joseph as the Holy Family, let's face it, they did not have a normal marriage, you know, so much so that just the the chastity that they pledged to each other, we, we now call it a Josephite marriage, but I'm not even so much just talking about that. I mean, Mary is conceived without sin. Their son is God. Uh, that's abnormal. <laughs> so it's hard to look at the Holy Family sometimes as an example of like, well, you want to be a good Holy Family? Well, just look at Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Um... I don't know, you you earthly parents can, you know, maybe comment on that. But to me, that's a little bit like, oh, yeah, be like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the most perfect family that ever lived. And, and two of them never sinned in their whole life, one being God, and the other is like the most chaste person who ever lived. Good job. I'm supposed to image that. Um, I do a lot better, quite frankly, with the saints who are like, you know, completely human, screw it all up, mess everything up. And then, and somehow God's grace gets in there and, and by God's grace, they, they become holy. Uh, there's images that I think I can, I can work with. I can fit into that. But Joseph, I don't know. I, I mean, here's, here's some of the images that stick out. Obviously he's praying. So we hear all the time, you know, the, the angel of God came to Joseph in a dream and Joseph wakes up and he just does it. Okay, so obviously two things there. Joseph is connected with God. It's not like God has to bowl him over and try to convince him. 
Uh, Joseph has a relationship with God such that God can speak to him, and Joseph recognizes the voice of God when it comes. And then secondly, he obeys it. He just does it. Uh, you know, we, we don't hear it like, you know, with like Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What did he do? Got in a boat headed 180 degrees the wrong way. I ain't doing what God wants. I heard you, God. I ain't doing it. You know, God has to have him eaten by a big fish and spit up on the ground. Anyway, right at Nineveh, where he was supposed to go. Joseph just does it. Um, docility to God. I think that is uh, maybe one of the things that, that fathers, you know, sometimes if you, if you think you got to do it all yourself, like I'm on for this, I got to figure out what the right thing to do is, and it's all me. Joseph didn't do that. He, at some point, had to accept, all right, if God's orchestrating all this, God's going to take care of it. And, and so he, he let go and let God, as, as we say. But God used him as a real father. I mean, some of the, the fathers of the church uh, speculate, you know, like, okay, why, why did Mary, why did she need a husband? Why did she have to be betrothed? Um, one of those points is that, like, well, you need a strong guy that's going to be able to take you into exile in Egypt and provide for your family? Joseph was a tough guy. I mean, he was able to endure exile, find work, provide for his family, all those basic things that, you know, fathers have to do. Uh, and as much as we can say today that, you know, you know, women are in the workforce and that it's fine, you maximize their talents. And there are certainly talents even in the workforce that women contribute to better than men. But as far as the natural vocation of men, it's built right into it. Men instinctually know, I got to provide for my family and I've got to protect them. Joseph, we know, did that. He, like I, I just said, you know, husbands love your wives. Joseph was willing to lay down his own life, sacrifice his own reputation, rather than expose Mary to shame. When it's found out that she is pregnant while they're betrothed, uh, Joseph has two options, basically. He can publicly come out and say, this is not my child. I mean, Joseph would have been not only justified in doing so, the law almost required it. I mean, if he's a just man, you know, he needs to point out, this is not my child. But he doesn't do that. And what does that do? It takes all the shame that would have been put on Mary. She's not, not only is she pregnant, she's not married. She's pregnant with someone else's child and the person she's betrothed to. That was adultery. That's why they were going to stone her. Joseph, instead, does not denounce her. And, and famously, eight days after Jesus' birth, he gives Jesus his name, Jesus. This is the, the legal moment where, where Joseph is saying, this is my son. So what does that mean? Joseph is saying, for all intents and purposes, he's allowing people to believe that, yes, Mary's pregnant. This is his child, which means Joseph could not control himself and violated the betrothal time. The whole point of the betrothal was to, to show that you are able to remain in control and sexually pure and that you can go a year, you know, without having sexual relations to prove that, you know, this marriage is, is legit. We're, we're really committed to each other. There's not a pregnancy. We're not rushing this. It looked like, well, by doing what he did, Joseph took all the blame 
on himself so that people would look at him and think Joseph just couldn't handle it. Now, we know the whole story, you know, but think about how Joseph sacrificed then for Mary. You know, some people are like, well, you know, he, he loved Mary, but, you know, he was probably really old and, you know, past childbearing years. There's no evidence of that. Uh, that's just a thought. There's a lot more people, especially in these days, they think, you know, Joseph was a young man, loved Mary, would have, would have loved to, you know, even express that in an intimate way. How did, how did Joseph express his love then for Mary? By sacrificing for her, by sacrificing for the good of his family, the good of his child. This father's weakened image, spiritual fathers, biological fathers, you want to change the world, be the kind of man that is willing to sacrifice his own good for the good of something higher. And when it comes to earthly marriage, to sacrifice what you think would be best for you sacrifice that, subordinate it to what would be best for your wife and your family. Joseph certainly did that. And in that respect, he is a, a beautiful, wonderful example for earthly fathers. Um, the other thing is, what about work? It's interesting that uh, when we think of the saints, a lot of times, many of them are, you know, religious priests. Uh, so, Believe me, we work. Um, but people think of, uh, you know, priests praying or doing spiritual things. Uh, so, like, yeah, we, we can tend to think, well, priests and religious, like, they're holy because they spend so much time, like, talking to God or doing, you know, explicitly religious things. Joseph was not a priest nor religious. He was a worker. Joseph the worker uh, the, the word that gets used in Greek for him is, is technon. We translate it carpenter sometimes. Um, but uh, the word architect, architectnon, uh, same same word is used for, for Joseph, the, the chief technon, the architect. So think of Joseph could could be, Joseph could be an architect. Like he's he's the one who, Yes, he's a builder, but he's not a carpenter like I go out and nail boards together. I mean, he he could have been like designing cities and, and buildings and things like that. I mean, he's not, you know, necessarily like, oh, he was just a small, humble, poor person who doesn't know anything and never got an education. And so he just, you know, he nails things together. Not, not that there's any shame in that. But realize that Joseph was a, a man's man when it comes to work. Whatever he, he did with building would be a be the an actual physical laborer who's doing it, or he's using his brain to design it as an architect, or probably a little of both. Um, Joseph shows that, that there is value in work, especially work done to contribute to the good of society and the good of family. Uh, today, I, I think people are really confused about work and the, the role of work. Uh, we want to sometimes, don't we see work as a selfish kind of endeavor? I do it because I'm going to get something out of it. I I work because I want to achieve. I want to get more money. I want to, you know, win awards. I want to be praised. Yeah, I'm not saying everybody's that way, but what about work 
uh, as value in its own. Work not just as a means to some other end. This is a great insight of the Catholic Church, and sometimes uh, the Church will sound a little socialist, uh, even when it comes to some of the teachings on labor and, and work. Realize that the Church doesn't have a political and economic theory, that the Church is not pro-capitalist. There are, there are many ways in which the Church is anti-socialism, especially, especially 100% anti-communism. John Paul II grew up in, in communist Poland and saw the errors of what happens with socialism when it's put into political practice. So I, I don't mean that the Church is like pro-socialism either. It, it's just sometimes it'll sound that way because the Church is very pro-work work as not something that's demeaning, but rather famously when, you know, even before Adam is kicked out of the garden, it's, it says God puts him in there to till the garden. Uh, that's because man is made for work. We actually find human dignity in work and contributing. That's why one of the best things you can do for, you know, someone who is poor and homeless and out of work is get them a job, not so much that they'll have money. We can give people money, but work provides dignity, a chance to contribute to society, to feel like you make a difference. Um, you know, one, one of the things that uh, uh, you find as a priest, um, you don't have sometimes that uh, manual, physical kind of work. So much of our, our work is the spiritual side. You know, we're maybe counseling someone or, or anointing someone or bringing communion to someone. Or I, I, I do a lot of intellectual work. I'm working on a homily, so I'm reading a book. Um, there is dignity in just getting out of work with your hands. Build something. That's why I, I have to create projects where I'm going to go build something and, and work on it. Um, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker reminds us that work has its own dignity. And there is a, a beautiful sense in which, you know, think of like, I know, Little House on the Prairie, and Pa is out there working dusk till dawn, dawn till dusk, and providing for the family. He comes in, and he's tired, and but he knows he's done something. You know, fathers, you know, whatever kind of work it is that you do, make sure it's somehow rooted in, how can I help my family? But then don't let it be just, well, my role in the family is I go work, and I get a paycheck, and I provide the money, and then I'm done. St. Joseph didn't do that either. You got to show up. You, you got to be present for your, your family, spiritual fathers, biological fathers, all of us. So St. Joseph uh, shows us the dignity of work on this Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. So keep that in mind too. So tonight we've been talking about fatherhood, uh, particularly biological fatherhood, the way that Jesus is the image of our heavenly father. Uh, earthly fathers are called to be that earthly image of, of the father in heaven. We should be able to say, how does the Father love us? Well, look at earthly fathers. That's how it's done. And no one did it better than St. Joseph. So tonight we say with St. Philip, the apostle, Lord, show us the Father. We want to see God. That is the most important thing we want to see. But the best way that we can see the love of God the Father on earth right now is through earthly fathers. Messed up, broken as it is, God, please save our society. Save it through fatherhood. Motherhood too, but tonight we pray especially for fathers. God, save your people and show us the Father. And God bless you.